So you have to be very careful when you do any sort of, you know, significant recording where you're invoking demons and dark lords because all of my technical glitches and difficulties the technical ecstasy of the show this far has been fantastic and i love it so we've gone from uh racism and lobsters at the beach to clandestine meetings at denny's all the way back around to the forehead sheen of a co-host and none of it has made it on the record yet and so just be careful when you mess with the devil kids because this is what happens it's true it's true I, I it's hard to believe that we are only just now starting the episode and yet we've uh-huh. already had conversations related to dolphins and heaven's mm-hmm. gate and waffles and all that we're, yeah. we're 25 minutes in and you all will never hear a lick of it so Pure goal. Cons- Pure goal. count yourselves lucky but or in fact, you know, sign up for know. my only fans and i'll reenact the entire thing for you Ooh, yipes <laughs> Uh, once you take your pants uh-huh. off, proof that the seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake. Uh, <laughs> that, that's actually the crabs I was referring to post. <laughs> oh, your pubic hair. Oh. Okay, got it. Ooh. All right. That was a big mistake. <laughs> you think Ooh. about going down there, but that is a big mistake. <laughs> so, a all hope, ye who enter here. Jamaican accent out of the way. I will say by the eternal. Behold. <laughs> It's the Decent Form Podcast. I'm Shane. And I'm Michael. And I'm Michael. Oh, we got a brand new beat coming your way every single week now. <laughs> Look at us. We dedicated new stuff. New stuff for y'all to listen to. Yeah, I'm going to do this whole episode. I've decided. Sebastian oh, the yes. Crab will host yes. the Disinformed Podcast. Excellent. Oh, dear. I need to get a shot. I'll give you one. A gun? Shot Open gun? up, buddy. Well, I'm just Let- going to get rid of the crabs here. Lead salad. Mmm, oh, <laughs> lead sandwich. Lead salad, my absolute Ooh. favorite of all the Ozzy Osbourne solo albums. And uh, important to note the Dark Lord himself as we're getting back into this week's exploits. Have, have any of you had any interesting discussions over the last couple weeks here? I know neither of you interact with any of our folks that usually give feedback, so it's, I'm kind of speaking in an echo chamber, of course. I mean, I talked to myself for about an hour earlier today, but I don't think it had anything to do with this conversation, so... Was it in a secret meeting somewhere? I would interact if I saw notes, but I'd have to like go in and pop into every single disinformed video to see if anybody's commented because I would have no way of knowing if somebody's commented. So, Oh, I guess that's fair. You can't <laughs> access the YouTube because you're not a real host. That's right. No, it's 100% accurate. So that's you're my excuse. Wrong. So that's why I'm not interacting. What the hell's wrong with all y'all? Oh, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm interacting. Lazy. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. He, he's the best person for engagement. He actually responds and is thoughtful and actually, like, usually cares what pre- people have to say. Like, going to patently disagree with everything he just said. But. Well, I mean, this go. is the disinformed podcast, so. Well, there you go. I would, uh, I'd hop in if, uh, if I saw it, I, and if you uh, tag me in, it or like, let me oh. know what video to go to. Okay. No, I don't mean get in on the thing. I just mean let me know that somebody's commented on a video. Mm-hmm. I'll hop in on my own account. Okay. Well, I mean, you you were springing to our defense when people were impugning the the length of time it took for us to talk about the new D and D rules, and then uh, we were harangued <laughs> by some mouth breathing sort of uh, basement dwelling automaton that decided to creep up out of their crud for a moment get out from under their mother's teat and chastise us for not being quick as a whip when discussing new rules of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I, Sorry, I, I just, I, I just, uh, you know, caused 80% of our listenership to drop off the call here. So they sadly. had to go back to their mother's teat. Indeed. Hey, not, nothing wrong with a little time. mother's milk. 
Mm-hmm. And how? Everybody loves some breast milk ice cream on this call, and uh, I'll speak for all of us. And we're actually sponsored by breast milk ice cream to you. Literally have breast milk in my fridge right now. Well, yes. Not even no, but not, not for you, though. <laughs> no, I'm you're going to steal from your daughter. What kind of churn have you got going for that? Oh, it's a slow churn. That's well, actually what he does be. in his off time. When he's not Ooh. doing his five jobs, he just how, how slowly sure churns the, that, that milk. Slow churns how we got the kid in the first place. But. <laughs> <sighs> oh, mommy. Oh, and mommy. Moving on. So Ooh. for those of you who are blissfully uninitiated with how this show typically works, and I count myself amongst your throng, what we usually do on the show is we like to delve into a random esoteric topic. And in the course of explaining it to you, the listener, and ourselves, we lie a little bit, and that is the shtick. It's delightful almost every time. But uh, it is incumbent on the co-hosts to then try to ferret out the fact from fiction as they listen, call out the lies and seat you, and see if we can make a good gamble at it. Otherwise, we have a denouement at the end of the show. We explain what was lied about and why. Hopefully, some hilarity ensues in the interim. But over the past several weeks, it has been nothing but doom, gloom, and diabolical acts, as we have been discussing the devil himself, Satan, and the panic in his name. Hail Stan. Or (laughs) Stan Satan. Stan the man. Either way. I definitely Stan Satan. I got a starter cap with ACDC on on it. Stan on you? He can stand on me. Okay. I'll stand for Stan. All right. We've lost control (laughs) a bit again. Why am I not shocked? So, uh, as as we. Jesus, take the wheel. No, we want nothing (laughs) to do with the Risen Lord this week. (laughs) Unfortunately, we're going to get plenty of it, however. So. Oh, no. we have been talking about the satanic panic and its various permutations over the past several weeks, alluding to prior episodes Michael did as well. So we've got a full thing going on here. But this is finally going to resolve my discussion on the topic presently, at least for this iterative phase. Uh, but previously, we have talked about the association of Satanism with uh Serial killers with spree killers, vampirism in the UK, uh, of course, attempts at conjuring stories out of children by various folks working in uh, child care facilities, etc. Uh, elder care jocularity, as Doc has uh, asserted from time to time. And then we finished up with the role of metal music and censorship in the panic itself, all leading us to today's topic, which will be a discussion of the West Memphis Three, which is going to be Ooh. very exciting. So, how familiar are both of you with the uh, travails of the West Memphis Three? I think that's my favorite uh, combo at the Waffle House. So is it like two slices of, <laughs> of ham, uh, two strips of bacon, and two eggs with and some... And covered uh, hash browns. Yeah, well, scattered, <laughs> smothered, and covered, naturally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, you and me, baby. Mm-hmm. All right. Ain't nothing but hash browns. <laughs> so Please. Let's, let's prime not. on a skillet. No, um, no. Uh, no more references so to bad miss. rap bands. I don't want to do it anymore. Oh, God. Um, I actually, uh, aside from the little references that you do uh, throughout this whole podcast, um, I don't know anything about the West Memphis Three. Okay, well, fantastic. Yeah. We'll get to have a little education then. I so I Ooh. was asking purely because there's a level of detail 
that I can either include or exclude based on familiarity. So, oh, smother me with a baby, just like those hash browns. <laughs> I'm I'm regretting waking up today, just based on the last you know thirty minutes of my life. So, let's see if we survive. But uh, all right, as we wait in here, I will tell you off the start here that I also missed the chance at a perfect bit. And that last week there were six lies. This week there are six lies. Should have done six the first time. Yeah, I was a little overzealous on the first episode and threw ten, which was reduced to eight based on the reduction. So we've missed the number of the beast, kids. I'm sorry. So it was eight, six, six. But uh, we'll still try to get Jenny later on by adding a 5309 in there somewhere. But uh, Okay. We'll make it work. We recover. We recover, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, naturally. Still wouldn't get Jenny. Might get uh, Stacy's mom, but <laughs> not with that attitude. <laughs> Actually, well, eight just six get six would be eight. <laughs> He's under the sea right now. Yes, not fielding your phone calls. The dolphins, however, are always ready to meet you. Hey! Actually, like one of those bad '80s pickup lines that you used to get the late night infomercials on. Dolphins are waiting right now to field your call. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Thirsty French dolphins will <laughs> curl up inside of your blowhole at any hour of the day. You can play with their flipper. Indeed. Single dolphins in your area. They're going <laughs> to catch your love just like them getting caught in tuna nets. Oh. Dolphinlove.com. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. So. Sad. Oh, away from dolphin love. Oh, yeah, sad. The man who was putting babies in microwaves and jovially laughing about basting them previously. Upset about dolphins and tuna nets. That's because the dolphins are innocent, okay? They've done nothing wrong. <laughs> Not the babies like, know what they did. Shit, little babies. More, that's right. They know yeah. what they did. I was going to say, it says more about your parenting than it does about the children <laughs> themselves, I think. But, all right, so. Free the West Memphis Three was a well-known slogan echoing in the mouths and minds of many at the end of the 20th century, contesting the incarceration of three youths, and I do love using that word, Damian Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., and Jason Baldwin, three individuals convicted of a triple homicide in 1993 in Arkansas. It's the state that brought you, uh, well, it's West Memphis, Arkansas. It's about to get interesting. No, it's not Uh, Memphis, Tennessee. They're not that cool. No. Uh, Very close, though, you know, in proximity. It's just a little bit of west of Memphis. But yes, the the famed state that brought you Bill Clinton and, of course, their glorious current governor, who we're going to talk about here in a moment, Miss Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Oh, God, no. Why? Yeah. Uh, uh. Well, because, uh, you know, current iterative phase of Satanism. I'm hoping uh. to try to prove the devil still exists, and Sarah's the best evidence I have. So, uh, in any event, uh. <laughs> I digreg. Uh, these three teens were railroaded using hearsay, Evidence that was admittedly circumstantial at best, admitted perjury, uh, and most famously, a police-prompted false confession. Oh. And thus, the West Memphis Three were swept up in the hand-wringing satanic panic that infested America in the late 80s and early 90s, when both the general public and law enforcement saw devil worshippers in every shadow. 
I cribbed a little bit from last pod because I thought that that was a perfect sort of accentuation to our prior discussions about how this panic had been whipped up into a rich, juicy fervor. And again, Mm. if you're looking for exhaustive retelling of this tale... The last pod sequence is the best to go with. They've got three episodes. They're exceedingly lengthy, and they get into nuance like no other. So it's a good way to start. I will try to give you the best blow-by-blow that I can, and I will try to avoid (laughs) children crawling on (laughs) stairs and uh, some of the the hyperbole and uh, editorialization that was present in a lot of this. But most of the details uh, or individuals who are documented the details of this case come down very strictly on one side or the other. There's not a lot of people riding the middle line here. So there will be some some very obvious sort of charged statements as I read Ah, through this. So we're not doing a both sides argument here. I'm trying, but uh, (laughs) generally speaking, there is a pretty significant amount. I will also admit off the top, there's an inherent like I uh, if I have to confess an implicit bias, it is there. I was raised in an agrarian community in eastern Arizona, which uh, gives you an indication. I existed in a small town that had very much this same myopic mindset. And these individuals are contemporaries of mine as far as age. So it's not entirely shocking that I I can sort of empathize with what happened here. But uh, so I will admit off the bat that I do tend to come down a little hard on one side versus the other. But I'll let you hear the circumstances of the case and let you make your own decisions as we go. But... um, The last pod series is exceptionally detailed and helps to illustrate the myopic and false association of goth culture with Satanism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and serial murder. Also shares my previous assertion that corruption or destruction of innocence essentially pushed a community out of the mindset of seeking justice and into the seething, bloodthirsty fervor of craving vengeance, which we have discussed in prior shows here on the... uh, podcast as well if you want to delve into the archives there uh happens pretty frequently and often the towns have little care or concern for the scapegoats that they attach this vengeance to and so uh we're going to discuss uh for those who are completely unaware and want to brace yourselves this is going to get i will be a little less graphic than I would usually be given the Aww. circumstances because this does involve the murder of children. Oh. So unlike Michael, who just wades gleefully in with talk <laughs> of people being, you know, shivved with scissors, I will try to be a little more deft in how I handle this, but brace yourselves because this isn't going to be pretty. You're going to handle uh, this with kid gloves? Uh, yipes. <laughs> Babies on spikes, yes. Um, I will also uh, give you the you know, up front here, because I did not last week, and there were a couple people who were not tickled by all of a sudden after talking about metal music of just, oh, by the way, so this guy stabbed somebody 37 times out in the woods, and then had, you know, roving tours of, like, the Hollywood Hills to be like, yeah, here's where I stabbed that guy. So uh, I'm going to try to be a little more illustrative up front here. But uh, murder of children in a small town does put passions at an all-time high, as you would expect. And absolutely makes it difficult to separate subjective truth from emotional perception. And often folks are seeking closure by forsaking equanimity. And thus we get what transpired with this trial. So, brace for impact. Killing babies in a small town. That's a uh, John Cougar Mellencamp song, isn't it? 
I think, yeah, little pink houses, as I recall. But, <laughs> all right. I'm about to kill some children myself here. Uh <laughs> As we discussed in prior episodes, understanding the circumstances surrounding individuals who perform violent acts is critical to divining the possible motives for said crimes. Individuals raised in affluent communities might commit acts of vandalism or hazing as a means to try to distance themselves from their privilege in the eyes of their contemporaries, while those raised in impoverished communities may resort to theft or assault simply trying to procure necessities for their loved ones. A crime doesn't occur in a vacuum, nor were the individuals committing them cultivated in a petri dish. Our experiences, family life, socioeconomic background, and communities dramatically impact our way of thinking, and this is exceedingly evident in the circumstances precipitating the trial and conviction of the West Memphis Three. Also plays into the glorious goulash of all of our prior discussions that you do have to kind of consider the source for a lot of these incidents and not just run with the ghoulish fervor of, it must be Satan! Are you telling me that cops would lie to me? The the funny thing is is that the police have, you know, almost the the least amount of involvement as far as the the problems and dilemmas surrounding this. The police do still have some issues with the conspiracy, but uh, a lot of this falls into the hands of people who are loosely affiliated and then the townsfolk. So then was it bullshit that they got a uh, police coerced uh, false confession? No. That oh. is mostly where the police start having their problems. It's, it's, oh, just just so, that little tidbit. <laughs> well, but, you know, police procedural, like, generally speaking, we, we'll get into this later, but the police do try to do this with almost every individual that they take into custody. They start to formulate their own narrative. And if you say something yeah. that goes outside of that narrative, they will course correct you because they don't yeah. like having to, you know, reconcile these things in the court. And so the system is kind of inherently flawed to force people to give them the sort of information they want to hear from you. So they're quick to cast off anything that sort of contravenes whatever they've got as their narrative. But I digress. We'll get there. So to propel ourselves forward from the bedrock that we laid with last week's show, I'll begin by stating that teenagers coming into consciousness in the late 90s and early aughts, and I know I'm speaking to like kind here, we were somewhat forced to cope with a society that was awash in fear and loathing. Particularly in the U.S., conservative values and liberal ideologies were already fully in the throes of a tug-of-war that is still crippling our society in the contemporary climate. And thus, intoxicated on a brew of mistrust and paranoia, struggling with the widespread and rapidly expanding technological connectivity of the country, some conservative Christian families on the outskirts of certain socioeconomic circles struggled to reconcile their quality of life with the United States on the rise economically, while also wrestling to exert control over the youthful exuberance of their angsty adolescent children, who were being indoctrinated with the X-Files' famous credo, Question everything. And well, and uh, I think the great philosopher Eminem once said, my morals went when the president had sex in the Oval Office. That so. ex those exact words, too. Mm -hmm. Yes. The great yep. philosopher Eminem. <laughs> 
But I mean, it's 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 apropos. I mean, we're talking about the Indeed. same era there, Absolutely. and the morals of the country went out the window there when uh, the president. Well, see, there is an argument about whether or not that is kind of the the galvanic force. And as we're talking about folks from Arkansas around this time frame, we're going from 1993 here. But uh, yes, you're you're not wrong. You make a very salient point. This I feel like that was kind of a tipping point in a lot of the weird sort of seesaw that we're seeing right now in the political system. But Thus, when myriad, because I said so, parents uh, attempted to exert authority over the youth in their communities, the response to these restrictions led many teens to new outlets for their aggression. The Internet's a wonderful place, and we have seen myriad permutations <laughs> of this destruction. But one avenue in particular arrived in the form of metal, hard rock, so that Doc doesn't get angry at me again, and mm. new metal artists that we discussed in last week's episode. And biscuit. Bands such as Venom, Slayer, Judas Priest, Striper, Slipknot, and Marilyn Manson penned missives brimming with anthems to a cloven-hoofed anti-hero, fueling the ongoing fight against authority figures and the conservative establishment. Was there a band called S- S- uh, Stripper? Or not Stripper. Stripe. Yeah. Striper? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was. They actually oh, have an... Well, it doesn't matter, but they 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 have an album that looks remarkably like seventy two seasons album cover. They're just like inverted yes. black and yellow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very waspish. <laughs> In any event, also to dovetail, Black Sabbath. It's worth noting here actually came under scrutiny more via their politically charged material. Yes. Uh, there's songs like War Pigs and Electric Funeral, which, if you're not familiar, they challenged the military-industrial complex through comparisons to mindless sabbatic cults. So, um, War Pigs was originally titled Walpurgis uh, for the Witches' Sabbath, oh. and uh, yeah, the record company said, "No, you can't do that." So they Wait. changed it to War Pigs. Is, Is that, that true? Yes, that's true. Oh, interesting. Ah. There is a recorded version of Walpurgis, which is uh, a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, the record company's like, no, you can't do that. And they said, oh, okay, well, then we wanted to make it more, you know, war oriented anyway. Just call it War Pigs. And uh, the, so Done. they lightly amended the lyrics a little bit. Uh, but uh, Electric Funeral is also big for sort of criticizing individuals. Uh, it, it talks about the American GIs in Vietnam being hooked on heroin. So there's a lot of politically charged <laughs> material coming out of Black Sabbath. And then, strangely enough, they're being labeled as Satanist and uh, criticized. So not entirely huh. shocking. That I wonder it's why. That, that gets them in trouble more than their actual ties to the occult. But we digress. And not surprisingly, Paradise Lost, an admittedly biased and hyperbolic series of documentaries discussing the details of the case of the West Memphis Three, is anchored by the music of Metallica, a band loved by Damien Eccles and Baldwin in particular, as well as a pair of hosts of this show. Is this a lie? Nope, that is true. I told you actually in the preamble to this that Metallica was going to play a pretty heavy role in the discussion of this uh, series. Interesting. So yes, Metallica is used in the soundtrack. It's one of the few times that Metallica actually allowed their music to be utilized. Now that's bullshit. I don't think they ever allowed any music to be utilized. <laughs> they definitely did in this. They instance. copyright striked everything. Yeah. This was pre-Napster. 
Yes. Oh, okay, that's fair. <laughs> Technically, right on the verge of Napster here. Uh, <laughs> now, it's easy to say that not everyone responded rationally or cerebrally to the messages and themes that these albums projected. The genre of metal music itself was constantly under fire throughout these decades, beginning with the PMRC hearings that we discussed recently and pushing through protests of performers such as Marilyn Manson following the Columbine mass shooting incident. Uh, this ongoing controversy played itself out as well in horror films such as Trick or Treat in 1986 and Hack-A-Lantern from 1988. I wish it was a lie, but it's not. Okay, I've seen Do Trick you... or Treat. I've never seen Hack-A-Lantern. What... Is that just a slasher film with someone mm. wearing a pumpkin head or something it's like that? A, or? Uh, it's a horror film which links Satanism and heavy metal together as an unholy union practiced by testosterone-crazed adolescents. I need to find this movie now. But there's Enjoy. nothing with pumpkins? Well, I mean, I'm sure there's a pumpkin on the cover, but that it's a very loose affiliation. Disappoint. They could have, they could have workshopped the name better. That's terrible. The, the name is perfect. No, they the name is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no. The plot probably needs a little more <laughs> exactly. investigation. Okay, fine, you, fine. They, they choose the name and then they work down from there, not the other way around. Because, yeah, you're right. It is a good name, but, like, it's... it. it if I went to, if I was like, oh boy, howdy, I'm so excited to go see Hack, <laughs> hack a Pumpkin or Hack a Wiener and Hack a Lantern. Hack a Lantern. Sorry, I, my, I, I'm already dead. Uh, hack a Lantern, I would be expecting a slasher where someone has a pumpkin for a head or something think, to that effect. I don't or, think anyone that's going, oh boy, howdy, is probably going to be in line to <laughs> see Hack a Lantern. I agree. Uh, it sounds to me, Michael, much like folks in middle America, you're just looking for something to be outraged by at this point. Oh, oh, I'm outraged. All right. <laughs> that name could have been a a tied to a better movie. Okay. That's, well, for I'm the after saying. dark, we'll look up Hack-A-Lantern and see if we can find the trailer to watch it. And, you know, we'll, we'll see whether or not a pumpkin headed idiot shows up to attack people. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, just watch Return to Oz if you're looking for something that's that disturbing, visually speaking. Yeah, Fair enough, you haven't I seen guess. it, have you? No. Guess not. All right, moving on. So, the melting pot of hysteria, and I don't mean the Def Leppard album, uh, reached a boiling point in West Memphis, Arkansas on the 6th of May, 1993. Here's where we're going to start getting greasy, friends, so please brace for impact. We'll call this a gold star moment for those of you who are squeamish and appreciate Last Pod, so get braced. The bodies of three eight-year-old children, Michael Moore, Steve Branch, and Christopher Byers, were discovered in a wooded area known as the Robin Hood Hills. And yes, their names are all very interesting, including, yes, Michael Moore is a real name of one of the individuals. It's and, quite peculiar. And, and Christopher, Christopher Byers, Byers, yes, it okay. has no, was, no relation to Stranger okay. Things, uh, though they may have lifted the name. Who they knows? Might but have, yeah. yeah. That's, I that's wasn't going to call a lie on the names, mm -hmm. even if I thought it, because I'm like, I don't think Shane would use that opportunity to inject a lie. Yeah, I mean, also, I've I've done worse, but uh, no, I just want to get ahead of that because <laughs> yes, as I read through those, I realize looking at your faces, that does sound like those are lies. Not the case, unfortunately. Okay. Though, if uh, it, it makes you imagine that this is what happened to Michael Moore to turn him into the weird, you know, sort of like sweaty <laughs> neckbeard that he is in film and bowling for Columbine takes on an entirely separate directive if he's a grown oh. man being assaulted in Arkansas. But anyway, True. we digress. Uh, all right. I'm 
tonally, this is difficult to reconcile outside <laughs> I, of laughing and now I'm ready. I know. I I'm, tried. I'm, I'm sorry. It's good. It's not a bad thing. I'll just, we're not making fun of the victims, as they do like to say in the last pod. I'm just going to, we're having fun or trying to. Uh, laughing against the darkness. The children were found naked and savagely beaten with their arms and legs hogtied by shoelaces. Byers' genitalia had been mutilated, and law enforcement assumed that the children had been sexually assaulted. They actually presumed that his genitals had been bitten off, which is, yeah, as ghastly as you can get here. So uh, that's as problematic as I'm going to get here. We'll move away from this, but you can just see that the gravity of the crime is pretty extreme. So the subsequent backlash is somewhat understandable, as we've talked about, sort of corruption of innocence is a big thing in this country. And so something like this happening to eight-year-olds is pretty stark. What primarily added fuel to the conjecture that a coven of some sort was involved was that the word Diablo, coupled with a slapdash pentagram, was discovered etched into the trunk of a tree 20 feet from the bog the children were submersed in. And they were submersed. They actually found them in mud. They were completely, they were weighted down so that they would stay and not float up. So someone was walking through the bog and stumbled across the bodies. And and what they discovered later is the actual murderer was working on a video game that was soon to be released i was gonna say oh okay so they're like it's it's hype up for the game because the game so, no no the game came it, out three years it was later an ad campaign it was that went terrible mm-hmm. i think th- wasn't it 94 uh but yeah, the, I, well I'm on it i'm i'm right on to <laughs> nope i'm i it's in my script just give me a second all right all right all right shutting up <laughs> it was an ad campaign went Terribly I can wrong. tell that we are contemporaries here. So while most of us console kids from the 90s would attribute this to the popularity of the dungeon crawler series of games of the same name, in point of fact, this crime occurred four years prior to the original oh, game's release. It was, it was January of 97 is when the okay. original Diablo came out. So there's nothing that actually connects those two things. And this is just a complete random bit of occurrence here as opposed to anything else just this name was etched into a tree with a pentagram and Uh, even more easy go ahead even more coincidence diablo 4 is either been announced or Mm -hmm. will be released soon uh, as of recording so it's even more coincidental and also all of its in-game purchases and all that still microtransactions i I haven't played the game since the second one so it's it's whatever but. I played Diablo 3 a lot. My uncle so was I. obsessed with it. So I appreciated it. It's a fun game. Uh, also, funny to note, I, I just, I wouldn't associate a lot of Spanish speaking individuals in Arkansas either. And yet you have, you know, Spanish Diablo. word for devil yeah. etched into a tree here. So it's true. A bizarre. Well, sometimes yeah. they call, a, like, I think that name gets attached to like bacon wrapped jalapeno poppers and oh, stuff sometimes. Yeah, yeah. If something's a little bit <laughs> spicy, they call it El Diablo. Fair. Yeah, All right. so that, I can just, see right. where you're coming at. Also, if you like Taco Bell sauce, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, yeah just yeah. whip that into here. Mm-hmm. All right. Ooh, so, even a worse marketing scheme gone horribly wrong <laughs> taco bell new sauce el diablo it tastes like chicken or chicken tastes like children found in a bog <laughs> okay god I, if <laughs> i wasn't right, going on. to hell before yeah. all right sorry all right. mom let's, sorry god let, yeah let's move on i'll, I'll stop interrupting the, the child murder it's this is what we're here for we're, <laughs> we're here trying to have fun remember isolate that cut that i'll stop yes. interrupting the child murder <laughs> 
Didn't mean to intrude. I'm sorry, guys. I'll when go we, out. When we get to Aleister Crowley later, you're going to really chuckle at that. But um, <laughs> in any event. Uh, so this, coupled with the horrific nature of the crimes themselves, which belies our laughter naturally, appeared to confirm every fear that the previous decade had managed to cultivate in the conservative brain trust. For a community at the heart of the Bible Belt, the triple homicide had all the trappings of a satanic ritual murder. Now, again, this is from something that was 20 feet away from where the bodies were found, but that's sufficient enough to cast that in there, plus the molestations a little much. So, later on, a confession, allegedly coached from Jesse Miss Kelly by detectives, implicated two other teens, Damian Eccles and Jason Baldwin, seemingly providing the authorities with their culprits. Snitches get stitches. Yipes. The confession <laughs> itself, Jesus. however, is highly contested, and you're going to regret laughing at that <laughs> mere moments from now. On one hand, Miss Kelly has an IQ slightly above 70, and there are accusations that a police department desperately looking for closure simply coerced him into talking. So we've seen this approach as standard police procedure in a slew of shows and documentaries from serial to making a murderer, where police attempted to construct a clear narrative of the sequence of events to remove doubt from their case when presented to a jury later on. And thus, detectives will either inject known facts and evidence into a witness or suspect's story as they're recounting it, or they'll eliminate conflicting facts to ensure that the authenticity is there in a narrative. So they will actually stop tapes course correct the person and then re-record or move oh, forward interesting so, i didn't actually know that part this is something that is frequently seen in police interrogations because they want to make it seem like it's naturally occurred it's against the law to coach individuals and so they do their best to turn the camera off stop the tape recorder start it back over and say so what you meant to say was <laughs> and this is one of those times where people feel that they are compelling people or that they are forcing them to give a false confession by that this is a whole lot of hullabaloo that surrounds similar instances particularly when you have someone who is for lack of a better term a little not all there it's, it's neurodivergency these days but it's somebody who has a, a limited function uh mentally speaking they so, are not wholly aware of what is going on correct and exactly. and has a very limited if not basic understanding of what's happening so false promises uh for instance in uh the making a murderer documentary they show that like the um young man who i'm gonna allude to later his name is just left my mind at the moment but they were essentially prom promising like oh you'll get to go home once you tell us what happened mm -hmm. and you know kind of lead him down the trail here and he made a phone call to his mother hoping he was still going to get to watch wrestlemania that weekend oh. like just you know it's a very obvious subversion and it's disturbing when you start getting into the facts there so moving on thus uh this can also often be coupled with other tactics employed to obtain a false confession, like threatening the suspect or their loved ones, withholding food or drink, keeping them awake for extended periods during interrogation, not letting them use the restroom, etc., to force the confession. Uh, many feel manipulating Miss Kelly's mental limitations to achieve their own ends, as with the interrogation right here, as with the interrogation of Brendan Dassey in the Teresa Hallback murder case, which you see in Making a Murderer, is tantamount to provoking a false confession. 
So I will note here, however, that there are also reports that Miss Kelly confessed on other occasions of his own volition. There are claims actually when they took him into custody, he was confessing. He's like, yeah, yeah, I did it. I did it. Whatever. Uh, I was running away and we threw stuff at the kids and like I only caught one and then I took it back to them and they did all the other stuff. I didn't do anything. Uh, so he was offering stories as this was going on. And who's saying that he's doing that? Uh, so this is well? Miss Kelly. Yes. So initially the, the cops, as they were bringing him in, he's just spewing confessions according to their claims. Right. That's what I was going to say is yes. like, consider the source like, Oh, he yes. didn't just do it here. We didn't coerce it. Right. He was also saying it, you know, multiple other times. In fact, well, when we brought him in, he was just all over the place with it. And also how they get to Miss Kelly in the first place is even worse. It's totally insidious, but, um, we'll, We'll get to that as we Although go later Although you said on. that I would regret my snitches get stitches comment, and yet I still haven't found a good reason why he would rat out his friends. They're not even friends. They're they're barely acquaintances, which is uh, even okay, more so, disgusting. Well, then it's a little bit, well, no, less disgusting then, because he's not snitching on his friends. He's trying to cast aspersions <laughs> elsewhere. Like, it wasn't me. It was, it was that Shane oh, guy. <laughs> God. All right. I've never even met the guy. This I don't know. by somebody who's not an actual co-host. I can understand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before either side could make an opening statement, uh, the three were most likely found guilty in the court of public opinion. Local news reports hinted at the possibility of satanic activity in the area and, of course, implicated Damien Eccles in particular as having a quote unquote pact with the devil. From what the later documentaries show us of their environment, it is easy to assume that Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly would have stuck out like sore thumbs in West Memphis. Most residents of the region offer views indicative of its conservative values and evangelical Christian ethics. It is a typical working-class community populated by what's often described as the salt of the earth. A place where churches are found on nearly every street corner and morality is expected and strongly upheld. Anything that doesn't conform to this standard naturally would have been looked down upon and ostracized by the general community at large. The one person who reflects this general outlook and who becomes a strong presence throughout the series of documentaries is John Mark Byers, who is the father of one of the children who is slain. He offers up a wealth of sort of hearsay and nonsense, and he himself kind of becomes a very interesting character over the course of the story. Um, he's a devout evangelical, and he shamelessly plays up for the cameras and continually fires off religious rants and threats of violence against this trio of children oh, cool. because, you know, they hurt his son. So. In a perfect example of how rumor and innuendo about the case permeated the community, he speaks of wild homosexual orgies the three engaged in, and the preposterous idea that the remains of his son's genitals were found in Eccles' possession. That is not true, and not well, demonstrably I, true at all. Yeah, because if, if, if it was, that would make it a lot less vague as Correct. to whether or not it actually occurred. So yes. it's a lot of people listening to sort of the rumor mill in the town, the water cooler talk, and then just running with it, as opposed to waiting for any factual evidence to be contributed in a court of law. So this thing kind of got ahead of itself before they even managed to get them into a courtroom, which is kind of what we're illustrating here. Uh, I'll avoid casting any further aspersions, but... Um, I was actually going to give him a compliment because his improv is pretty on point. He not just yes and, he yes and a whole paragraph. He yes and a uh, disembodied dick. So Not just any disembodied dick. 
<laughs> oh no. <laughs> All right. Oh. I'm moving on. The arrest of the West Memphis Three must have come across to many that the depictions of Satanism in the media were true, after all. As Pam Hobbs, who's the mother of Steve Branch, as Doc loses his tiny mind here, uh, says in an interview, Look at them. They look like punks. Yep. Strong words. Strong words. (sighs) It gets worse. Punks. So to give context. Lucky. To the oh god! All right, about to have another disembodied dick here. Um, to give context to the unfamiliar, West Memphis police allegedly always believed that the murders were connected to devil worship. Driven by the private investigations into satanic activity in the area, and those are heavy air quotes, by retired commander and would-be super sleuth Jerry Driver. Uh, who was actually a former airline pilot who became a county juvenile officer in his 50s. Yes, so he was never actually... mm -hmm. Uh, He was convinced that West Memphis, Arkansas was a hotbed of satanic activities. Consequently, Jerry had purportedly been hounding Eccles and his associates for years trying to rid the area of cult menaces. Is that, uh, just to tap in since we haven't taken any stabs and mm-hmm. I know there's six of them hanging out here. Is his name Jerry Driver? His name's is, Jerry Driver. Is the facts that you provided about him accurate? <laughs> yes. Uh, he is not, I, I will say, uh, he's not the retired commander. He was a retired airline pilot who became a county juvenile officer. There were two individuals that I was running back and forth. One of them is from the last pod and the other one's from a document I was reading. And the stories I was remembering afterwards were all related to Jerry Driver, who's from the last pod. I in, inadvertently put in this other person who was a retired commander who also claimed to be an expert in satanic activity in the uh. in the area. So there was a lot of this happening. So that was just a slip of mine with not uh, editing that out of my 17 pages of bloody documentation that I've got here. So, so. not one uh, of the six. Uh, correct. Not one of the six. That was an a, inadvertent a, lie. A typo necessarily, yes. not a lie. Still disinformation. Yes, but, but I, it's it's no it's, less disturbing that this is just a retired airline pilot who just elected in his 50s to start trying to chastise the youths of the area. Yeah, I, I don't feel like that career change was really genuine. I feel like he was just getting like, damn kids getting on my my lawn lawn. and like the worst aspect of this he had his motivations are so beyond reproach here obviously yeah i say that ironically but um there's a tale they tell in the last pod where um damien actually left town he was taken out of his parents custody for a bit and sent to live with his aunt and then he fell out over there and had to come back to West Memphis. And as he got off the bus in West Memphis, Jerry driver was waiting for him. Jeez. I mean, you did say that he hounded them. Yes. So for for years, to give you evidence, he was somebody who was obviously very interested in pursuing this. And so he is the one who ultimately puts Damien up as the prospect for who needs to be looked at in this case and then they start to move the narrative around his assertions so really dangerous uh and very frustrating but uh we'll get into his little grim lattice work that we've been laying out here since episode one about people who just jump to conclusions with very little evidence i wonder i wonder if he was actually forwarded as a suspect even before kelly like started blabbing about like knowing 
So no, no. Well, oh. I, I, so I should say yes. Um, Damien was the suspect initially, and they get to uh, Jesse Miss Kelly because they suspect Damien. Oh. So they they created a whole situation where they got Jesse's. I'm forgetting if it's. I think it's his. Um, he it's someone Jesse babysits for. They send her in to infiltrate their group because they think that she, it's a satanic cult. So they send her in to go flirt with Damien and seduce him to you know gain his trust and learn his secrets. It's fucked up, and she Wait. is the one who is the that they solely rely on to in uh, sort of uh to uh link them to the crime more or less i'll get into it we'll, we'll oh, okay, okay. reach okay. around to get to the guy because yeah. i was gonna say one that kelly babysat yes so this is how miss kelly gets involved because he was the babysitter for this lady and she's like oh well he knows these boys and so then that's where they go to jesse oh. and force him to start giving the uh confessions like it's it's bad <laughs> i thought you were saying the girl that he was babysitting not the mother of the no, girl no, that no. Yeah, okay i was like mother. they sent yeah. a they sent a child in no. to infiltrate okay no, no, no. now right. you, okay now we'll I, all right, all right. everything's good all right cool cool i was just very confused i was like you know yeah. cops are so what happens uh, when but, i start saying things just you know off the cuff here as i recall them versus what's in the script so we'll, sorry we'll i'm just very no, excited fine. for this story i understand so, good old Jerry Driver, admittedly caught up in the fervor of the satanic panic, gleaned many of his concepts about cult activity by reading a book that we discussed previously. Oh, no. Maury Terry's 1988 work, The Ultimate Evil, which, of course, as we alluded to previously, pointed to a satanic, cabalistic cult, the Process Church of the Final Judgment, or The Process, which Michael loved, because this is his favorite name ever, which Ugh. was founded by Robert de Grimston and its purported membership of serial killers and occultists, which included Charles Manson and the son of Sam Killer. Thus armed, Driver became convinced that Satan's emissaries were insidiously destroying the lives of decent God-fearing folks since the 1960s, as you'd expect, Ugh. and to him making West Memphis an enclave of decency in the heartland of America a prime target for such debauchery. As part of his attempts to combat the process's network, Driver started his own neighborhood watch group to combat satanic activity in the area, and he would drive around at night with his Ghostbuster sidekick, Steve Jones, on the uh, navigating the country roads of the area during full moons, sincerely trying to catch satanic cults in the act of celebrating what Driver mistakenly thought was the witch's Sabbath. See, this would be a funny sitcom to watch. Uh-huh. Where where they just see like, I don't know, some sort of like sheet drying in the wind and they think it's a ghost and they spend like 30, 40 minutes just like hunting all over the place, like upsetting everyone, just like just intruding everywhere. Uh-huh. And it and it, it just turns out, oh, I guess it was just a sheet, laugh track What's... and cut to credits. What's even funnier is also this is a couple of rednecks in like a four wheel drive truck with like a deer spotlight just <laughs> romping over the hills going like, we got to find them Satanists, Jesse. <laughs> come on, let's see, go find some Satanists. Jerry, come on. You can see the reflections of their eyes. They out there. <laughs> Damn, the orgies. <laughs> Their pallid flesh reflecting in the moonlight. Oh, we'll see them. I hear that they's all got reflective skin. I read it in that Twilight book. We'll find them. By God. 
<laughs> exactly. So yes, it's as ridiculous as you would expect. <laughs> I'd watch that. I'd now, watch at it. The, at the time, the more gullible members of the American law enforcement system were convinced that any murder which wasn't quickly or readily solved must have been the work of Satanists who are in the habit of sacrificing innocent men, women, and children in the name of the devil. So much so that actually, in 1991, the FBI performed a study to determine how widespread this activity was in the United States, and the only substantive cases that they could fully attribute to satanic cult activity were trespassing and vandalism. Did the FBI actually do this study? They did actually do this study. Did they find it's, actually anything related it, mostly to mostly trespassing and vandalism? Okay, That's, yeah, they could not <laughs> substantively link. And they, every place they showed up, they're like, "We think it's some satanic activity in the area." I'm like, oh, okay. Well, who are the actual suspects? Satan, devil, <laughs> uh, Diablo. <laughs> we I seen that on a tree. I seen uh, it. So yeah, it just. Ludicrous. <laughs> Driver, kids from of course. Sesame Street, because I hear them use the letter L before <laughs> Diablo. That that Oscar, he hangs out in a garbage can. That's suspicious. That's I right. That count, I hear he's a vampire. That guy's got green hairs, just like Doc's pubes. I, I don't trust him. He must be under deceit. <laughs> and now yeah. listeners are wondering, why do you know the color of my pubes? <laughs> well, you offered it earlier when we were discussing all of the crabs. And but, now uh, you have accepted. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not shocked that you've got like, you know, your punk rock below the waist. In any event. <laughs> like a mohawk. It's, it's Liberty Spikes. It's Liberty Spikes. Yes. <laughs> He's still wearing like a bondage bracelet around his balls. <laughs> I got a little leather jacket around. <laughs> oh, rock, rock till you drop. In any event, Jerry Driver, however, would not be dispirited by all of this FBI talk. No, no, no. And he refused to believe anything other than ultimate evil led to the deaths of the three young children in his community. And thus, he immediately leapt to impromptu interview Damien Eccles, who was an 18-year-old high school dropout at the time, and a self-proclaimed Wiccan who was widely considered a troublemaker about the case. Uh... Mm. When Driver performed a search with no warrant, mind you, they discussed this in the last pod. He just, you know, in the area, you could actively saunter up to people's parents and just sort of sly your way in by saying, like, hey, listen, we're really worried about your son and we don't want anything bad to happen to him. And we just want to kind of intervene, get ahead of this. So if you just let us come in, have a look at his room, we'll see if there's anything we can do. And then, you know, we want to just disprove these charges up front and help to clear his name. And of course, parents hearing this not believing that their children are up to any sort of lurid activity at all will be like, oh, yeah, please come in, disprove, you know, prove my son's innocence. Will Smith was right. Sometimes parents just don't understand. Oh, God. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so in any event, Driver, after doing the snake oil pitch about trying to prove Damien's innocence, gets access to Damien's room where he discovered the typical accoutrement of a teenage goth myth misanthrope. Uh, Damien had admittedly a notebook with poetry in it that had pentagrams and upside down crosses on the cover that he inscribed with the title, The Book of Shadows. <laughs> oh, God, Is that's that corny as fuck. That's true, yes. Oh, man, I already I, feel sorry for this kid. He probably listen, was beat up in high school. My, we my, were, best, my best friend had a Book of Shadows when God. we were in high school, and we would hang out, we'd go to the anime club, and I would sometimes wear a trench coat 
And then teachers were a little concerned about the trench coat mafia thing mm-hmm. at the time. And so I, I can't really cast too much aspersion on this fellow. Uh, I was the editor of my high school literary magazine, uh, constantly walked around with a bit of a mopey attitude. So yeah, I can, I can relate to some of this. Um, needless to say, I knew a lot of these kids. I was not one of the goth culture, but I was certainly accepted as one of the clan and spent enough time with them doing poetry readings and things of this nature that I knew these individuals. Like most of them really decent, good hearted folks that were just you know, trying to find a way to feel included in something. And when you're ostracized from the general social circles, like it's very easy to just latch on to anything you can to be, oh, I'll just be incendiary. I'll wear black clothing and look weird, dye my hair different colors. And, you know, you find your ilk that way. And it's whatever means gets you there. It's very interesting because there's a lot of overlap in terms of that mentality with like the skaters. Mm-hmm. I found back in high and school punk as well. rockers like it. Yeah, just all the disenfranchised folk, essentially the nerds, freaks and geeks, if you would. Go ahead, Michael. Good, good, good reference there. Thank uh, you. I just, I just want to put it on the record that I wasn't casting dispersions on him having a book where he was writing poetry. I was only casting the, Dispers- Shadows, yes. the, the title. You. Yes, it yes. could have been a little bit more, you know, like if you're expressing yourself in a way like you could have. I'm not going to listen to your criticisms but. about names after you're casting like, you know, doubt on the, the quality of Hack-A-Lantern as a name. <laughs> if it doesn't have a Halloween or a Jack-A-Lantern themed slasher ki- like killer. I thought you said it ejaculate. Is, <laughs> if it doesn't have an ejaculate themed killer. Um, it's an ejaculantern. That's, it's its oh, own no. sort of pumpkin spice. That's a oh, brand no. new porn film coming out this winter. Ejaculantern. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. Moving on. In any event. Uh, Back to the baby murders. Michael, in your, you know, to give context, though, this is a 17-year-old high school dropout in Arkansas, which had the the only state in the union that was last behind ours in education. <laughs> <laughs> oh they, yeah, fight for last. <laughs> yeah, they eventually did leapfrog us. However, they did fiftieth to 49th in Arizona fell in the back. So I'm yeah, I'm not casting any aspersions here. Don't about feel bad. Okay? First, you're last, so you're in good company with everybody. Oh, no, else. we were actually last for probably yes. still. So. Yeah, not shocking. Uh, so along with the Book of Shadows, there was also a wide array of books by Stephen King. Believe it or not, and a, a cluster of black t-shirts, all of which Driver saw as definitive proof of Damien's associations. Call it, Satan. Michael. I know you want to. I'm going to call bullshit. Uh, bullshit. Bullshit. Nope. Bullshit on the Stephen King. Okay. Nope. So I, now I, I can about still this. judge. I'm still judging now the title of his poetry oh, book. Oh, God. Yeah, because Stephen okay. King's poetry is much better. I agree. No, but he was very eloquent in his words. Yes. So... But he's, again, he's a 17-year-old reading Stephen King, not Stephen King himself. So let's Uh, give a little, you know, a little understanding. But yes, as I talked about, I think, in the sort of preambles of getting into this, Stephen King and Metallica both play a very heavy role in defining the characteristics of Damien Eccles as a person, which, again, not shocking that I feel a certain kinship with him. It's just I didn't spend a lot of time, uh, you know, dressed in black and talking about Satanism until I got on this podcast. Podcast. And now suddenly I'm feeling very seen. Uh, so it's a wonder I'm alive right now. It's what I'm driving at. In any event, 
to illustrate this point, Eccles actually would later comment on how bizarre this correlation was during an interview he gave to The Hollywood Reporter following his eventual release. Spoilers, this happens. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter asks, It seems ludicrous that they take the stuff you're into as a teenager, like the stuff kids explore, and use that as proof that you're a killer. Like, that could happen to any kid in the United States. Eccles responds, I mean, you think of things that most people wouldn't think is a big deal, like the fact that I read Stephen King novels. That's the number one highest selling author in the history of the world. I don't think that's right, Damien, but he's, <laughs> he's, he's sold a lot of books. But uh, that's the number one highest selling author in the history of the world. And it's weird that I read him. Like, you don't see how the, they can do something like that, but they did. In the last podcast episodes, they extensively detailed that Eccles' appearance, wearing black clothing, listening to heavy metal, and having a fascination with the occult, was what led authorities, and of course Jerry Driver in particular, to question him, rather than any substantive evidentiary link to the crime. Driver had been more or less stalking Damien for the course of several years, and the legality of this harassment is still greatly debated by those who followed the genesis of the case. But to give you an example of the mindset we're dealing with here, Driver expertly described the telltale signs of practitioners of occult activity thusly. You know, the tattoos, the devil rings, this, that, and the other. <laughs> he did not say this, that, and That's the other. That's literally to. what escaped oh his God. fucking mouth. He said <laughs> this, this, that, and, and the, other. the other. Them tattoos, them rings, and this, that, and the other. Yes. So that shows you just how far afield we get. <laughs> With, okay, that's the motivation, is like, that's how you spot a Satanist. Well, they got tattoos, and they wear rings, and, you know, stuff. Satan stuff. <laughs> <sighs> Fuck. It, it boggles the mind, man. It really does. Uh, uh, it's worth noting, uh, hearkening back to prior episodes, that Eccles had a documented history of mental illness, notably depression. Uh, he came from an extremely poor family in a community that was already on the fringes of being destitute. So receiving frequent visits from social workers and concurrently... He just rarely attended school, certainly never felt welcomed there, was oh, yeah. kind of disenfranchised. And when you're ostracized, it's kind of difficult. You just any port in a storm, start latching on to whatever friends you can, or you just isolate entirely. Yeah. Uh, thus, he and his girlfriend uh, ran off later uh, and then broke into a trailer during a rainstorm. And this is where all of this stuff sort of generated initially. Uh, they were arrested because they were found by police, uh, though the uh, trailer was unoccupied. No one lived in the thing. It was just a oh, derelict trailer standing there. there. But they so broke and entered. Uh, they noticed that the it, the trailer was a rocket, and they came a knocking. Oh, <laughs> uh, someone probably noticed that. Hey, there yes, were lights it was or something reported, in this abandoned. Stuff was yeah. flashing around, and they were just a couple of kids that were a little randy looking to find a quiet place to have some fun. They were caught by police, and from that point forward, he was oh, a criminal. I thought you were making a joke that they were. He was caught in situ uh but... no yeah oh, that's well. they were they were caught in the act and uh, thus there yeah. you go you gotta do what you gotta do awkward uh, so they were arrested though Eccles was ultimately only charged with burglary he spent several months in a mental institution in arkansas subsequently after receiving a uh, full disability status from the social security administration so oh. if that's not enough to give you an indication that there are some problems afoot here 
Uh, during Eccles' trial, Dr. George W. Woods testified for the defense that Eccles suffered from serious mental illness characterized by grandiose and persecutor, persecurity, uh, persecutory. There we go. Thank you. Ah, I had a, I, I went Michael for a moment. Uh, no one <laughs> goes grandiose, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> grandiose and persecutory delusions, auditory and visual hallucinations, disordered thought processes, substantial lack of insight and chronic incapacitating mood swings. Jeez. This would of course help to illustrate Oof. the reasons by Eccles who denied knowing the boys or having any involvement in their deaths was admittedly somewhat flippant and incendiary with officials when he was being questioned about his connection to the case. He knew he had nothing to do with it, and so he was telling them, fuck off and go find somebody else to talk to who's you know, yeah. a better interest. I mean, However, honestly, yeah, that's fair. The authorities interpreted this as an indication he was simply smug about the tragedy and thus accountable for it. Oh, and wise guy, eh? Exactly. <laughs> so here's where the officer Krupke slippery slope, oh, I'll take you in for that Twitter comment, uh, gets us into some trouble. And thus the police focused solely on Eccles and soon received help from Vicki Hutchison, whose eight-year-old child was friends with the victims and claimed to have witnessed the murder, but oh. was unable to identify the assailants. So in Not a meeting, a uh, yeah, this is where we <laughs> start getting, again, this is the uh, information that was fraudulently provided to the well, police. Well, you see, you see, I witnessed it in that I saw it in my dream. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy told me that I saw it, so I saw it. Mommy said there were people running, yes. Uh, in a meeting with police, she was told that Eccles had been interviewed, and she offered to quote-unquote play detective by meeting with him. What? With, no. Yes. So this is who they brought in, and as I said, I, I believe Jesse Miss Kelly actually helped to like babysit her eight-year-old. So this is where some connective tissue started getting involved here. So the law enforcement of the area encouraged her to go do this, and so she then enlisted Miss Kelly, her... 17-year-old neighbor who knew Damien and had a IQ of barely over 70, will remind everybody. They said he essentially functioned like a third grader. They affectionately referred to him as like a Forrest Gump character. So oh, very sure. innocent. Affectionately referred to him. That, 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 All right. Forrest Gump is an American Forrest Gump's a hero, wonderful okay? person. Yeah. yeah, no, I just don't think that they were affectionately using oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm referring to, yeah. I think, it, on Last Pod, they also liken it to gotcha. being like Forrest Gump. So, yes, okay. it's, I don't think they were being mean-spirited in saying it. But uh, in any event, uh, according to Hutchison, who, again, I remind you, is doing this of her own accord here, <laughs> in, in May, uh, May 19th, 1993, she, Miss Kelly, and Eccles attended a gathering of witches at a nearby field. It's right next she to the gathering of the Juggalos. Oh God, that sounds terrible! <laughs> oh, which, oh, who are you? Who are you seeing? Are you here for the witches? Are you here for the juggalos? Oh, I'm a hatchet man all way. day, every day. Hatchet man all day. Oh God! <laughs> wow! Well, uh, all right, my brain just vomited a little. I'm sorry. Uh, she <laughs> they ran out of water, and so they were making witches' uh, cauldrons full of fago. Oh, stop, fago! No, 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 no fago! Toil, toil. Foil in trouble. <laughs> okay. The clown makeup is the same in both circles, though, strangely enough. Very uh, true. In any event, um, she claimed that the proceedings developed into an orgy 
as you would expect, at which point she asked Damien to take her home. Miss Kelly stayed. Hutchison later related these events to police and reportedly passed a polygraph test. Now, later on, she recanted all of this and said what actually happened was that she got drunk and got so increasingly increasingly intoxicated in her front yard that she just blacked out and made up the rest of the story so that she would have something to offer to the police. Which, I mean, if, if she does this on the regular and, you know, just assumes things happen, you could believe it. Yep. Like, yeah, but just like what a t- I mean, like you're literally like playing with people's lives. Exactly. There. And also, it's important to note that there was a monetary reward being offered for any information oh, to help apprehend the killers. So she was incentivized. So you can add motivation here. But again, all of this, is, I, I'm trying not to editorialize this too much because otherwise we'll be here for four hours. That's this is fair. a very involved process. But unfortunately, yeah, I'm, I'm already involved here. So armed with this information, the police then went and interviewed Miss Kelly, who reportedly had an IQ of 72. As they keep mentioning this, I'm sorry, but... Um, I want to drive that point home, yes. damn it. Despite initially denying involvement in the crime, he eventually confessed after sufficient questioning. Wait, I thought saying, he was confessing as he was coming in. So here's Allegedly. the thing. They, they talked to him initially, and then they took him into custody. And then, armed with having all the information that was disclosed in the initial discussion, he started to confess about the crime, but was including details that they provided oh. to him during the initial discussions. So technically, depending upon who you're asking, yeah, the police said, oh, he was offering up a confession as we were taking mm. him in at this point he i think knew he's all trying the details. he's trying to talk his way out of being taken into custody because he's terrified of being taken into custody yeah. so it's it depends on who you're listening to and the story so again like i'm trying not to editorialize the saying definitely one way or the other just kind of depends on who you're talking to unfortunately the source that i'm running from in a lot of this has a very obvious bend in their opinion so as i'm pulling some of this i'm realizing it's like yeah they've kind of tempered the expectation here but uh in any event eventually they were able to coerce a full confession out of him that was doctored with details that they chose to inject or remove and uh they later then helped to detain the three boys and uh, left before Eccles and 16-year-old Jason Baldwin, who were best friends, committed the murders. This is what he's saying. Okay. Sorry, I messed that sentence up terribly. Saying he was there, he was present when the crime committed, but he didn't take part in it. And then when they said, like, well, you know you were there, you were a part of it regardless. He said, well, all I did was help chase down one of the kids, and I grabbed him and brought him back to the other two. James, still not and the worst Baldwin. Easy. <laughs> It's Jason, whoa, whoa. thank you. Um, in any event, so all three were eventually arrested in June of 1993, though there was no physical evidence connecting them to the crime or the crime scene. And coincidentally enough, each of the three had alibis for the evening of the crime. Oh, geez. So this shows just how far afield that you can get when the court of public opinion and police prejudice essentially pushes you over the edge. So, although the police investigation is not illustrated in great detail, Miss Kelly's confession is something that is debated, particularly in the documentaries. Uh, Paradise Lost takes the side of the defense that the police most likely coerced the young man through long hours of interrogation and manipulation and taking advantage of his low IQ. 
Uh, and then, interestingly enough, Miss Kelly was tried separately from Eccles and Baldwin, as though they wanted to isolate him further. And there is no denying that they attempted to kind of rush through his trial. Uh, something often discussed is Miss Kelly allegedly confessing to his involvement multiple times in an array of escalating ways, with the police deepening his involvement to ensure that they could convict the other two boys by association. So he was giving them more details to try to get himself out of the situation, and to them that just deepened their resolve that the other two boys must have done worse because he keeps offering these other things up. So uh, I'll leave that alone. There's a lot of paragraphs revolving around that, but in any event... Um, it should be noted he was given a chance that uh, Miss Kelly was given a chance to testify against Eccles and Baldwin in exchange for a lighter sentence after he was convicted, and he still declined to take involved. So once he figured out that he was being screwed, he's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to make this any worse. I'm not going to go and be a witness for the prosecution on this. So without use of Miss Kelly's confession or his testimony, the prosecution then proceeds with the trial of Eccles and Baldwin. The evidence. Wait, sorry, but back that up. So without use of his conviction, like why wouldn't why couldn't they use the conviction? They didn't of, use his confession. Confession. Sorry. Yeah. Why couldn't they use the confession for the other two? Because he declined to be a witness. Oh, so, so he, even he, he would not so go in and be on the record. So they can oh, claim I, that these things were said, but he was not officially on right, the record. Right, that makes at sense that because then if then the defense would want to have him. Brought, yeah, because yeah, it has to be sense. asserted in court, and if he's yeah. not willing to assert it in court, then it's technically not part of the record. Gotcha, makes sense. Um, so, and at that point, it's hearsay on top of everything else, which is even worse. But uh, mm. in any event, I'm just surprised uh, that they didn't bother to go with that. You know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. So they proceed with the trial of Eccles and Baldwin, despite all of this. So again, they've lost the person who sort of inculpated them in the first place. Uh, the evidence then gathered against the two was circumstantial at best, as you would expect. And the argument presented to provide a link between the murders and the occult is not convincing. The testimony from their occult expert, Dale Griffiths, is not very credible. Generally, Wait, I'm going to pause and jump in real quick. Was the fact that they had alibis a lie? No. Interesting. Because I it's figured, like, wouldn't galling, that, like, stop it? it? Yeah, because I was like, wouldn't You'd that stop assume. it cold turkey? Like, nope. Not if they're out doesn't. for blood. Well, but and I mean, again, like, I physically couldn't have done it. I was here. I have But that now. means well, that the police believe your alibi and that the judge believes your alibi and are willing to accept this. Right, and right, and right. if again, if the community has already decided that these gentlemen are guilty, they're acting from a place of assuming their guilt as opposed to assuming their innocence. And a lot of the circumstances surrounding the trial do indicate that that was what was happening. It's, yeah. uh, it, it's a popular term these days in certain presidential candidates, but it's a literal witch hunt. Because they mm -hmm. thought they were part of a coven. So this yep. is how this happens. Mm -hmm. um, so the testimony from their occult expert is uh, Mr. Dale Griffiths here uh, and appears laughable that they'd allow him to give any sort of significant input on the matter in general. Uh, although the defense attempts to discredit him as a witness by pointing out that his degrees all come from correspondence courses, the damage was still <laughs> likely done. Griffiths was underqualified in both knowledge and experience, but because he was known for appearing on television programs as oh, a no. witness uh, regarding Satanism in early as 85, it's more likely the members of the jury recognized him and assumed that he was correct by association. If he's that's, on TV, that, he's got to be legit. Yeah, exactly. he knows what he's doing. Uh, so that's so that's not bullshit not bullshit he was, no he was on television he was and then he just became famous for being an expert witness on satanic activity and the occult going forward um i did not include 
uh, a lot of the material because I was cutting swaths. This this oh, article yeah, yeah, yeah. was very lengthy. Needless to say, this is years of activity. So yeah, I unfortunately didn't include any of the material. But it Fair. was essentially tantamount to the same nonsense that was being spouted of look for black t-shirts black metal material tattoos and things like that it was this as spurious as that exactly so they weren't offering anything substantial at all to connect them i do have a couple things however as we go forward here that will kind of link which are ludicrous uh they cross-examine Eccles, and that's also as ineffective in dissuading uh any jury members from prejudices that were likely established prior to the trial while his attempts at describing some of the concepts behind his Wiccan beliefs are noble in the intention of proving that he isn't a Satanist, the Aww. nuances between that and Satanism were likely lost on the jury, and uh, they wouldn't necessarily have the ability to navigate between the two and to differentiate sufficiently. So, Well, and for yeah. these folks, they're just like, you know, as soon as they hear, hear Wiccan, they're like, burn the witches, burn yep. the witches. Exactly. No, and they it's... probably thought if he wasn't a Christian, he was a Satanist anyway, and that's all yep. that matters. And it's, it's like... safe to assume that it would go that anything involving the occult in general has the stigma being attached to being satanic because it's not Christian. This is the 90s. So, yeah. All right. So for all the prosecution's alleged expertise in establishing that the crimes were motivated by ritual, they make several notable blunders by uh, noticeable to anyone who's familiar with the writings of Aleister Crowley. It's important to note here that Damien was also a fan of Crowley, but that's a loose description and I'll illustrate why. So this is how they approached it. As the cross-examination of Eccles continues, they inquire about his knowledge of Aleister Crowley. Uh, one point that's brought up is, during the conversation, is Crowley's alleged adve uh, advection of child sacrifice. Now, this is included in some of the writings and referred to within Thelema. Uh, and although this is meant to establish Eccles' possible motivations for committing murder of children, there is a slight irony to anybody who's actually read the material. Crowley, who often wrote in code, talking about masturbating or whatever, used the term yeah. child sacrifice to refer to the act of ejaculating. Ah, uh, I see. I see. So they asked if he advocated child sacrifice, and it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> but it is, it is technically sacrificing. Yeah. And so. From a perspective of a teenager, you have him laughing at the fact that in court they're bringing up the masturbation and he's chuckling to himself. But if you're looking from somebody who's already believed that he's evil and villainous and then doesn't explain any further, it's just like, oh, look at oh. him. His bald faced, like endorsing child sacrifice and he's laughing about it. And so not uh. being inside on the joke, not knowing the differentiation. And also the prosecution didn't know enough to jump on this either. So you've just got ignorance on all sides and this is the folly that kind of moves forward furthermore damien would later admit that the bulk of his familiarity with crowley stemmed from his purported conjuration of the demon Karanzon, which is known as the dweller of the abyss in thelema and this is actually one of the things that crowley is purportedly famed for having done is um for those who are not initiated Karanzon is a, a according to certain documentation, is the snake that tempted uh, Adam and Eve, essentially, oh, okay. and cast them out. Uh, is He's purported to be the region that, uh, or the reason that angelic language is lost on the earth now, because once the angels kicked the two out of the Garden of Eden, they lost all recollection of angelic language, things like this. So there's a lot of mythological he's the reason import. for the season. Thank you. Uh, needless <laughs> to say, also... <laughs> 
During the conjuration of Karanzan, he purportedly shapeshifted as an attempt to seduce Crowley and his assistant while they were involved in the conjuration. At one point, he actually morphed into Crowley himself because okay. he routinely had sex with his uh, subordinates. Yep. And also, Crowley was in the submissive position at this point, so they were both naked. Crowley was supine, essentially. <laughs> just in the yeah. So you can imagine this whole thing's just ludicrous. I mean, uh, there, and a bit there was a lot of magic. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, I've spent too much time delving into some of this stuff, so it's it's superfluous to our discussion here, but I just find it interesting. But hilarious um, all the same, yeah. And also, Damien's a big fan of Stephen King novels, so he's talking about transconfiguration <laughs> oh, no. in relation to Randall Flagg and The Stand, which is one of his oh. favorite books. So there's connective tissues here in what Damien is interested in, but... It has nothing to do with the case. And the prosecution sitting here, you know, thinking like... There's nothing that they bring up related to demons or the fact that Karanzan is a demon or Crowley is known for demon conjuration. They don't touch on any of this to prove that he's a Satanist. They just talk about child sacrifice and him being um, a, a proponent of sex magic. So they're purely pointing to his subversion and they miss all the demonology, all of these other subversions, all the other connections to King that Damien was fond of. So the nuance is all completely lost on this and <sighs> it's still sufficient for them to convict him. And, well, and, I was going to say, I, they might not have missed it. They might have thought we got it already in the bag. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't even bring up the best part that would have tied everything together with Stephen yep. King. The end of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Plenty of children there. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Uh, unfortunate. In any event. So, uh, no mention of Crowley's demonologist exploits uh, were discussed at the trial, and the defense focused purely on sex magic and child sacrifice in order to incriminate him. So, moving on. As the trial approached its resolution, both Eccles and Baldwin were shown as being completely confident that they'll be acquitted. The closing arguments given by the prosecution come across as echoing the backlash from the past decade. Attorney John Fogelman in particular brings up heavy metal and Satanism while describing the teenagers. And for all intents and purposes, the statement feels like a blatant attempt at preying upon phobias in the jury, and uh, as opposed to actually offering anything in, in, into evidence. It's like, look at them. They listen to that metal music. It, obviously, they're bad people. So there's, they have no further need for motivation to commit these crimes. Sadly, Eccles and Baldwin were both found guilty on three counts of capital murder. With all of this, the spurious logic, Oof. the lack of any evidence... And while Baldwin received a life sentence, Eccles was given the death penalty. Uh, certainly, uh, there's a lot of people so, that would assume that uh, had they not released the documentaries that would try to exonerate uh, Damien later, that uh, he'd probably be dead at this point. Oh, yeah, most certainly. Yeah. So were they tried together? Because I know you said yes. they... So they, they tried Jesse Miss Kelly on his own and then tried uh, Eccles and Baldwin together. So, yeah, but it made what, sense for him to be tried separately because he had already confessed. Yes. Right, no, 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 I get that. But, like, between the two that were tried together, I wonder what was the rationale for life versus death for one-to-one? -one? The argument is that Eccles is the sort of architect of ruin here, that he was the one that was the leader of everything. And, of course, Damien is, as we talked about, admittedly sarcastic, pretty flippant about the whole process, and seems unrepentant 
to the people in the jury. So they go, OK, knock him down. Let's right. let's you know, the other one just mostly stayed quiet, didn't get involved in too much. And Damien's the, the ringleader to them. So that's the yeah. distinction. I don't think it was any more involved or sophisticated than that. So to be probably honest. just um, don't like his attitude. Basically. I don't like the cut of your jib. Yeah, um, actually, uh, in as they were talking about this in Paradise Lost, the main documentary, they refer to Eccles, who proclaimed himself the boogeyman of West Memphis. Uh, but uh, he said that mostly it links to his immaturity and foreshadows that, you know, he, he just he needed to grow up. He didn't realize how severe this was going to be. And he thought that the system was just and you couldn't just bring somebody in and cast dispersions. And then how you know, naive. Yeah. Well, I mean. That's I I can see where he's coming from. It's not yep. like he was in a situation where he would have seen it. I mean, I mean yep. he might have actually because he was moved to his aunt's for a time when he was kicked out of his parents. But he right. wasn't in the foster care system. He wasn't a foster child, so that right. might have been where he thankfully, if he was in that, he might have been able to see the folly of it. So who knows? But yeah, yep. Pretty presumptuous, generally. But uh, then later, in just a few short years, the teenager and convicted murderer would ultimately become a poster child for many alienated members of America's youth culture and develop a reverence normally reserved for rock stars and actors. I say this because uh, the cases had attracted the attention of filmmakers Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky and their resulting documentary Paradise Lost, The Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills, aired on HBO in 1996. It, of course, raised serious doubts about the guilt of Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly and brought national awareness to the three men who had been become known as the West Memphis Three. Is this the documentary that you were referring yes, to? Yes, this has is the Metallica? one that has Metallica involved. Yes. What? So given that we're 96 years, so we're like, you know, load... Uh, are they using load material or what, what sort of songs are we You're worried about what songs are on there? I think they, uh, nothing else matters is one, uh, that I know that was definitely involved. Um, I'm assuming Harvester of Sorrow, I think was another one I'm forgetting, but yeah, I didn't watch the damn documentary in preparation for this. Uh, I've heard like the discussion about (laughs) it. I didn't run a track (laughs) listing for you. I apologize (laughs) for not being prepared. I'm not going into doc levels of detail on that particular. I won't tell you the motivations for the inclusion of particular if we were songs. Like, if it kicks off with like "Ain't My Bitch," <laughs> with all of this that's happening, with the meltdowns, the malfunctions, and the bullshit, and you want me to talk about what Metallica songs they included? I'm just well, presuming it's one. Okay, just well, the first th- minute of one on loop. That's it. Give me fuel. Give me fire. Give me that which I desire. But listen, I was just curious because we're. <laughs> We're like if they're choosing to use Metallica songs, oh, but we're also right in that like cutting the hair time. I'm like, oh, I wonder what kind of songs we're picking and choosing here. I'm, I'm about to start cutting myself you know, here. Um, all right, bleeding me. You know what you can do, Doc? You can watch the documentary uh-huh. and then you can check back in with us next week. Well played. Let's hope we don't freeze again. Fuck. Or all right. if viewers can leave comments down wherever this and is not tell us. making it into the show. <laughs> Fucking kill everything. All right. Uh, smash that like button. I'm about to smash your like button. Uh, the case is, of course, gained an even higher. I'm about to threaten you with something else. <laughs> fire in your house, I think. Uh, fuel, fire. Um, Ooh, the, the case has gained an even higher profile with the airing of Paradise Lost 2, Electric Boogaloo, in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's Paradise Lost 2 Revelations, aired in 2000. Bullshit. Uh, in, adi- 
it, it did, yes. And they called it Revelations. Yes. And only four years after the first one? Yes. They were still oh. incarcerated. Well, of course. I just figured yes. that it might be a little longer in time, be, you know, kind of a oh, four-year follow-up. Th- there were three of them, so. Oh, Okay. Also, you have uh, Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh did their own documentary. Uh, there was another documentary series that happened in the midst of this. Also, like uh, celebrities like Johnny Depp and Eddie Vedder became vocal supporters. Right, Eddie right. Vedder actually sponsored shows to try to free the West Memphis Three. Like there was a lot of hoopla and hullabaloo surrounding the, the circumstances here. Thankfully, I'm glossing over a lot of this because I, one, I've garbled through script, thankfully, uh, and two for much longer than I would have cared to have been at this point. But in any event, (sighs) their cause was further aided by a series of noteworthy events. In the year 2004, Hutchison recanted her testimony. So that long. Yes. She waited that long and she'd had the money, you know, so I'm sure she'd exhausted it several times over. But she did claim that she lied at the urging of police who allegedly threatened to implicate her in the murders if she didn't cooperate. I'm I'm reminded of that, like, Simpsons meme, right, with the reporter. Like, why now? Why not 10 years ago? Mm -hmm. Like, what what in 2004 had had her have a change of conscience? It's a good question. It's also, it's like, yes, I understand that there was a fly in your soup, but did you have to finish the whole soup before you complained? (laughs) You even (laughs) ate the fly! I don't yes. get it. Uh-huh. She she probably heard St. Anger and thought, if Metallica oh, can be wrong, Christ. maybe I can be wrong. In any event. <laughs> then, in 2007, a hair found in the knot on one of the victims, which was noted as being linked to Lars Ulrich at the time, apparently. Uh, no. All right. A hair that was found in the knot on one of the victims that was utilized. So as they tied them with the shoelaces, they found a hair in one of the knots that was sent for DNA testing. This is 2007 from 1993. But it's interesting that they still like, cause it would have been within state evidence. So unless this was under some sort of appeal, it's interesting yes, that they it's, still it's chose. Appeal. Yeah. It's a pellet thing. Uh, okay. I got you. Because I again, thought, I thought- this entire time they're saying that they were falsely convicted. None of them, like other than Miss Kelly pled guilty. They were all saying, no, we didn't commit this crime. So they're fighting it actively. And, of course, all of the hoopla, the documentaries, all the other things are kind of helping to bolster the um, appeals as they go forward. So prompted by this, they send in uh, the hair found on the thing for DNA testing, which this wasn't available in the 90s either, which is handy to note. So just as technology advances, they're moving into it. It was determined that the hair was not consistent with any of the three individuals, Eccles, Miss Kelly or Baldwin. However, it was consistent with the hair of Terry Hobbs, the stepfather of Stevie Branch that we alluded to earlier. Oh. In addition, another hair found at the crime scene was consistent with the hair of a friend of Hobbs. However, Hobbs denied any involvement in the murders, and it's his stepfather. There's any number of chances that, you know, if you're helping the kid to tie his shoes or something, your hair could get involved. Like, there's a lot of innocent explanations. But again, folks are just grasping at straws. But ultimately, what it proves is that, you know, you've got no evidence still tying any of these three to that murder. So based on this and any additional evidence, uh, including allegations that during deliberations in the trial of Eccles and Baldwin, the jury foreman introduced Miss Kelly's confession. Despite the oh. fact that it was inadmissible. Oh, and so man. a judge finally vacated uh, all three convictions on August 19th, 2011. 
Oh, wow. 18 years. Yep. You know, what's fascinating about that too, though, would be just from like uh, a different point of view. uh, That's that would be three years into, for instance, the Obama presidency. You'd have gone Mm -hmm. through many years of Clinton presidency. So at any time, like there could have been a presidential pardon. Couldn't there have on this sort of thing? There could have. I'm not sure, uh, again, whether Clinton would have been willing, considering it's his home (laughs) state that it was coming from. Uh, but yeah, that's again, you can get granular in studying this. Uh, it's certainly, I'm, I'm mostly attempting just kind of give you the broad strokes here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, particularly because this is at the end of a significant amount of research done here. So, and, uh, and it could be its own, it could have been its own multi-parter, but again, it, it wasn't. Yes, and it doesn't to that need point, to be the last yeah. pod episode. Like I said, it's three or four episodes. Yeah. That's the amount of time they took. And even they go and gloss over some points here. They're not exactly. going blow by blow. So yeah, it's 18 I'm years not. of 18 years of history that occurs. Right. Like you're going to so, be compressing stuff. Even more maddeningly, and this is another source of debate for the topic, immediately thereafter, Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly all pled guilty while maintaining their incident, uh, their innocence. Their incidents, good God. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little, I'm verklempt. I've oh, got no. caught a case of the vapors. So, oh. they pled guilty while maintaining their innocence. This rare legal maneuver is known as an Alford plea. Right. And so they were released after each was sentenced to time served and received 10 years suspended sentence. Is the name of the plea a lie? No, it's Alford. Okay. Sounds like Alfred, I know, but yeah, it's an Alford plea. Alford. Uh, this is, of course, what was chronicled in Paradise Lost 3, Purgatory, which was oh. released in 2011. Uh, so I while other... So by pleading guilty, they were unable probably to, like, sue right to get like you know. well also it's a further you know sort of bit of misjustice because whoever if you if you believe that these three are actually innocent as they proclaim that they are that also means that whoever actually perpetrated the crime is never going to be tried for it because the case is closed right because oh. they were considered guilty of the crime so it lets by away, the law yeah so it lets whoever was truly guilty off yes and prevents them from seeking like monetary compensation for right. like decades Presumably. lost of their life. Yeah. I do Jeez. not know about that, but yeah. It's... Well, that would be my guess. Cause it's hard yes, to presumably. sue and say mm-hmm. like, Hey, you stole years of my life. If you're like, Hey, you're guilty. Yep. And, and at you that point, guilty. you're also just happy enough to be out of prison. That it's like, it, well, yeah, exactly. sure. Yeah. Well, and if that's your only option, if it's, well, I can sign this and say that I'm guilty for something I didn't do, but I get to go home. Or I can say, screw this, I refuse to put my name to it, and then get to still live in prison. You know, it's you're kind of screwed right then, right? So, yeah. So, while there were other suspects that were later discussed on the internet and in media projects, such as the documentary West of Memphis, which was the Peter Jackson, uh, Fran Walsh documentary I was referring to earlier, law officials ultimately closed the case. Uh, in an interesting association to lighten the mood a bit as we're heading out of our little end tale of the trial here, uh, for contemporary climate here, for pop culture, for those playing the home game, and I know that you are, in the fourth season of Netflix's Stranger Things, the character and story of Eddie Munson is closely based on Damien Eccles' life, as Eddie is also wrongly accused Aww. of murder based on his appearance and love of metal music, specifically Metallica. 
So there you are. Mm, Enjoy. Interesting. Uh, the writers admittedly uh, or reportedly took inspiration from the Paradise Lost documentary in the creation of Eddie and uh, the surrounding sort of community fervor that lynches the individual, basically. So isn't it fascinating? fascinating like just from like because you, you got to wonder what these guys are up to nowadays, right? Because they obviously, like I said, probably couldn't sue for mm. money. So then it's like. And then you've been in prison for decades, so you haven't been able to really develop much of the skill set. So it's like, is he working at the grocery store there or something like just, well, you know? Damien wrote a book uh, specifically that you can track down and, and check out. And that sort of discusses the whole circumstances in his situation. So That's I can smart. speak to that at least. Uh, I don't know about the other two because, again, uh, I had a lot of information being put into here. And at this oh, point, no, I was just thinking about, I was just throwing stuff out there like mentally because yeah. I'm just like, how fascinating would it be to like go to the local Kroger's or whatever. And then the guy like bagging your groceries is like Damien. And you're like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Also, like, interestingly enough, and I completely glossed over this in the course of talking about it, like, he's also named after the purported, you know, son of the devil from the Omen films, like, that, as if that isn't enough to, you know, incriminate on uh, guilt by association as well. But in any event, we've gone a long time. We're going to wrap this fucker up. So, uh, to crib from Austin Powers a bit, what does it all mean, Basil? The it Satanic Panic... Regardless of its varying inciting incidents, has a significant ripple effect spanning across cultures, continents, communities, and social circles. Its impact is unbound by time, location, or situation, and speaks to the ease at which a collective of concerned citizens can be converted into a teeming, bloodthirsty mob. When a trio of teenage boys can be convicted of murder most foul, almost purely owing to public sentiment, circumstantial evidence, and little else, there's something far more disturbing and intellectually stunted at play. This is further emblematic of a slew of other issues alive in the American political system today, be it gun control, women's right to choose, book banning, trans rights, or whether or not a public figure can try to incite a coup with impunity. Mm. Ultimately, religious freedom versus freedom of thought in America is mutated into a cavalcade of extreme moral superiority acting out of startling inferiority complex. And regardless of the end of the political spectrum that you're on, the extremes at either end are threatening to spin this country into a metaphysical tailspin yet again through frivolous and sanctimonious legislation or allowing prejudices to dictate policies. For example, in the great state of Arkansas that we were just discussing, the state which brought us the West Memphis Three, they're Sarah. currently proposing something tantamount to resegregation of schools under the watchful eye of crackpot kook Sarah Huckabee Sanders. No. So thank you, Sarah. Yes. They are oh, claiming that sake. they don't want to keep, uh, you know, punishing the uh, privileged folks by forcing them to stay in a school system, which is not meeting their needs. So they're trying to create a law that will uh, allow people to go into the public school or the private school system more readily oh, and okay. sort of defund so, public schools. And essentially, yes, they're just making uh, segregation occur that, again. That's what they're doing yep. in Arizona as well. That's what they were doing in Arizona mm -hmm. before we elected our current uh, uh, governor. But yeah, yep. yeah. Okay. So yes, yep. because, Getting them out of the public education system, pretty much, yeah, turning public ed into mm -hmm. the, yeah, yep. got it. So, the division, as we've seen through the entirety of the Satanic Panic, is still ongoing, it's just changed costume. And we need to look no further than this 
prior several episodes and our other discussions on the topic to prove that the opium of the masses can sometimes poison the population to death. But I am still clinging to the hope that a panacea of education, respectful discourse, and a broad proliferation of empathy can help to elevate us to a place of understanding and acceptance in this country yet again. I'm not overly fond of the alternative after having seen it in action over the course of researching this show. And that, friends and listeners, is the entirety of my stance here on discussing the Satanic Panic. Thank you for your patience and for dealing with all the technological nonsense over the course of this particular show. The way you uh, the way you wrapped that up, it was very like Andy Rooney-ish. Like oh, thank that. you. Yes. I, rather than Andy Dick, I'm happy. <laughs> I don't think we got a single lie. No, it took no. a lot of stabs yeah. too. I thought we did, like I thought we well did pretty well at trying. You but. did. I, I mean, you were very actively engaged, and this is one of the things I love about w- how we wind up getting long shows versus how we don't wind up getting long shows, which is when we have discussion and we have fun and we go off and dovetail into nonsense, like what Metallica songs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bet you Normally, in the last pod episodes they covered it, I bet you. Fuck off. Um, I will tell you, I, I love those things normally when my fucking computer is not trying to consume itself in front of me. So, yes, I'm, I'm always yeah. happy for those things. Thank you for going there with me. And we'll look it up. I'll, I'll see what I can find. <laughs> uh, maybe that's an After Dark discussion as well once we look up Jackto Lantern or whatever the heck. Hackle Lantern. Lantern. How yes. dare you forget it, Shane? I've had a lot of shit <laughs> flowing through this brain over the course of these episodes here. I'm on 27 pages of research by the time wise <laughs> were added. So, <sighs> all right. Any final stabs other than, you know, Hack a Lantern? I got nothing. I mean, right. I stabbed away Eyes, and missed everyone. Ears. Well, Doc, I'm going to, I hate to prove that one, you know, I can fall back on old standards and no one will, will call me on the carpet, but uh, there's a list lie up front here. And of course there is. To prove your prior thesis from last episode, it's something that we got off on a tangent discussing. And uh, <laughs> so Striper, by the way, is a Christian metal band. They're oh! one of the few famed Christian metal acts. So while I was talking about all the other satanic metal acts involved, throwing Striper in the middle of it, and yeah. we even discussed it. Yeah, Striper, they they love them some Jesus. I, it's so I funny because I asked if they were a band. I didn't well, ask if they should have belonged with that list. No, yep. and, and I'm I upset should've... with myself. Well, I should have caught it because you you shouldn't be upset because you weren't even sure if they were a band. Mm-hmm. I was aware they were a band. I even referenced an album cover of you sure theirs. Did. Yep. Uh, and and so I should have realized. Wait a second. One of these things is not like the other. I'm going to call bullshit. But instead, I was just like, oh no, yeah, now that because because your question made me hop into. Oh no, no, Michael, it's a band, and there's this album cover, and I got lost in that train of thought and was like, all yep. right, let's move on. Much like Michael did in episode one, you bailed me out of the lie by defending <laughs> the credulity of my lie, and so thank you, I appreciate it. I mean, so it's a was, good uh, tactic; it works it most did. of the time. Yep. Slide number one. And then to further solidify that point that when we get off on, you know, digressions, (laughs) it's proof that we're all talking about something I love. Um, The word Diablo and a makeshift pentagram had nothing to do with the crime. Uh, That was a complete conjuration of my brain, had nothing to do with that. Which means that when we hopped in with the Mm -hmm. video game talk, 
and then subsequently afterwards, Diablo was discussed in mm-hmm. your script. Yes. We were all on board with the same line of thinking, and yep. it was all bullshit. He, he exactly. knew we were going to be talking about it because he knew he knows us, which is hey. also a really good strategy. Yep. Like I've oh. done I've done it before. I, you add a little bit more context. You assume that they're going to take it hook, line, and stinker, and you keep going with it. It's it's. But perfect. you know what's what, it, what's what so makes funny? It, 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 it well just. It's so funny because if we had just shut up and let him say it, if he had brought up a video game, we might have hopped in with like, is that bullshit? Because we were taking stabs left, right, and center. But because we preemptively started talking about the video game, mm-hmm. when he brought up the video game, it like, it, and it gave him the opportunity to say, oh, don't worry, I've got that in my script in just a second here. And it, so it made it all seem natural. If we had just let him say it, we probably would have called it. You're like a puppy that slipped the leash and then ran headlong into traffic. Oh, well done. Yeah. Well done. Yep. So, uh, funnily enough, I, that's, I feel to me, it's all the more galling. The reason I put the lion is because there was no evidence at all tying anything to Satanism until they pushed it onto Damien. So there was no association to this whatsoever other than the fact that the kids had been mutilated. And so they're like, oh, it must have been devils. It must have been devil worshippers. Like, there's nothing there. And so I was like, I'm going to at least give a kernel of something that makes a little more sense to associate it. There wasn't even that. That's was, how galling this is. Now that we're kind of a little bit away from it and stuff, I was going to crack a little joke because we were talking about the uh, Diablo hot sauce taco uh-huh. bell hot sauce yes and then we were talking about certain thing that had been bitten yes and i, <laughs> and I was just gonna I reference saw, that's when you needed to mute yourself so that you, you could compose for a minute <laughs> that's why you were laughing yeah okay yeah i was like there's a joke there about diablo hot sauce and needing it to put on a certain kind of taco that somebody might have had mm-hmm. well, <laughs> or a sausage I, I was actually gonna do a bit about there being like a, a stray taco bell bag also left at the scene of the crime <laughs> But it, like again, <sighs> that would have just driven home the the, the point again that yep. it was a very good lie that just passed right under the radar, which we yep. were more than happy to take and run with. Yeah. So yep. damn. And I'll tell you, admittedly, when I started like conjuring the lie, I thought, hey, this is around the same time when the game came out, and I was like, oh, it makes it even more like it's saucier if it came out if this is before the game came out, and of course it was by several years. So yeah, this whole thing was just me going like it had nothing to do with anything, but I'm like maybe just having something written like Diablo would be weird enough. So there you go. That's lie number two. All right. Uh, lie number three. Uh, while all of the nonsense uh, surrounding our super sleuth Jerry Driver for the most part is true, the one aspect of his whole conspiracy theory that we went over was the connective tissue with our prior episodes. So he did not glean many of his concepts about Satanism from reading The Ultimate Evil by Maury Terry. Oh. Uh, had very little to do with his thinking. I'm sure he's never even heard of it, to be honest. He just, you know, saw kids with tattoos and t-shirts and thought, they must be the devils. Man. So, and I was going to say, like, nah, it had to have I been, saw like, your Michelle. Eye too. I yep. was going to say, was it Michelle Remembers instead? I was going to call and I was like, well, you know, I don't think that he would have known about that book. Mm-hmm. Because then so, you explained it and, damn so it. So that was, uh, that's the lie. And then to follow up on that as well as... 
uh, part of his attempts to combat the process in particular, he started his night drives and his neighborhood watch. In truth, he was just driving around doing the neighborhood watch deer sighting for witches out in the woods on his own recognizance. And that was how he thought he could best battle Satanists was by finding these witches covens. So it uh, has nothing to do with the process, has nothing to do with the book, Ulti- The Ultimate Evil. So those were the two lies that I threw in there. I was trying not to do things horrendously cheap this time. I, other than Striper, which I admit that was that was a bit below the belt, but but that uh, was still good. It was uh, still a good line. Yeah, or, yeah, it worked out well considering we stopped to talk chat about that uh-huh. exact band. And now to one that I was a little loosey goosey on, but we still managed to make it around because I think I'd fatigued the both of you, and there's just so much information to assimilate as well. Uh, so Damien Eccles' bulk of familiarity with Aleister Crowley had nothing to do with the conjuration of Karanzon. Uh, uh, he he just liked Crowley. He read it, uh, but it wasn't something where he studied it dedicatedly. I have spent a lot of time studying the conjuration of Karanzon and all of the other material there. So hence. My throwing it in as being a thing that could have been used to pull Damien further into the the midst of it being demonology is more like Damashane. Thank you, uh, but I it's admittedly demonology was something I was into, so uh, there's a lot of connective tissue to my own interests here. So yeah, apparently Damien Eccles and I are Eskimo brothers in some way, shape, or form. I don't know what it <laughs> oh, is. Uh, but, uh, so of course him being a Stephen King fan and being interested in transfiguration and showing flag was transfigured as well was all stuff I used. So all that is one big lie. And then the second mention of it not being referred to at all in the trial, uh, and that they purely focused on sex magic and the concept of child sacrifice. They didn't even do that. They only asked about the one throwaway line about child sacrifice. (laughs) Which they misunderstood and didn't realize that he was referring to ejaculation. My so God. that's it. Yep. And that, I believe, is all six of my lies, friends. The rest well, of that is as true as can be believed. Once I you am... take out all the foibles and my uh, double dipping in my script here of providing two different coverages of the trial. so I'm, I'm kind of surprised we didn't land a single lie just because I felt for a little bit there we were just kind of machine gun firing it out. Mm. Like, is that bullshit? Is that bullshit? Is that well, bullshit? It also speaks to how crazy the whole circumstances yeah. surrounding the trial and how quickly and easily they convicted them are because you know yeah all of it sounds so ridiculously batshit to begin with that you don't have to lie much to make it sound you know incredible but Mm -hmm. yeah the whole bit with uh our just a random member of the community up and deciding he's gonna start working as a juvenile officer and running around tracking people like his uh, jerry driver's whole involvement is disgusting to me and really vexes me is he dead now i don't know not we can hope, I, just, I suppose. Uh, yeah, we can hope, but probably not. <laughs> Knowing uh, how this thing went. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, that's what I had for you, gents. And that uh, was all of the weird sort of strands and tributaries of thought that I discovered from all of my recent viewing, reading, and listening history and uh, contemplating the satanic panic as we went forward. And so, there you go. I hope that uh, Jessica is the only other person other than Michael that was as excited to see this happen. So I hope that you are both satisfied. Thank you. That's uh, a significant amount of material to wade through. So I'm glad that we all survived. Yeah. And it was very fascinating. Thank you for adding more context to 
the initial episodes. Well, I do my darndest. I didn't see. I got so flustered in the course of all the stuff breaking down and everything. I didn't give you the subheading for this episode. I didn't <gasps> give you as a, this is otherwise called the devil, you know. Oh, and, yeah. Terrible. It's just a great subheading. Man. I was very proud of that title and just should have worked. Lost in a, it. I should have worked in something about tears and just gone with the devil may cry. <sighs> You're really just, you know, working off that Diablo. I understand. You're some kind of monster, Doc. I'll tell you that much. How dare you? Diablo is a uh, Diablo is a great game. Well, does anybody remember the name of a very similar dungeon crawler game for like the original Nintendo, the NES, and it had like the archer and a barbarian? Are you talking about I, Gauntlet? Yeah, Gauntlet. That's it. I remember oh, that. Oh man, that arcade game that that was the shit. I oh, love that arcade that. game. Yeah, I, used to I love wasted that game. so much money on that game. Ooh, by so my, much money. My Nintendo was gifted to me by my grandfather, and it got infested with the roaches. And uh, it's it, it still <laughs> and it worked. Still ran. Yeah, it still it worked. But but when <laughs> you would open when you would when you would open the thing and put the cartridge in, like roach some roaches would occasionally scuttle out. Do you mean like so? <laughs> Like I, I wish. Okay. No, right. I wish. I wish. Cockroaches. <laughs> oh, I better. always got yeah. the munchies every time I opened that box. It was so bizarre. I just, I just remember playing a lot of Gauntlet, and I, and I have like distinct memories of being in like second grade or something like that, and having to like open the thing and cockroaches scuttling out. But I really, <laughs> but I really wanted to play the game, so I'm sitting there like as they're scuttling out. Blowing into it to try to get all the rest oh, of them out, I, so mm-hmm. I can get shove all the, the eggs out, and get all the in. you know the the smoke out, and yeah, and just trying to I clear it out so you get the cartridge in. Was sitting there with a power glove on, just go like, "Come on, I'm the <laughs> wizard. I gotta play gauntlet. <laughs> oh, hack into the mainframe. <laughs> I'm in. It's all roaches, nothing but roaches." <laughs> I mean, that was like an extra game in and of itself. You know, it's the game that came with the console. It's like whack-a-mole, but with roaches. <laughs> How was... many roaches this time? Oh, ten. Ooh, well, I think, new record. I think, I think I told this before, didn't I? The Cockroach Commando story. Not the, not about the NES ones. but <laughs> Cockroach oh, so you Commando? To play like live-action so, duck hunt with the cockroaches so, and no, just shoot so them so as like, they ran out of the machine? As I've said in the past, my mother and I, you know, single mom, and she, we grew up poor. We had one of those, what do they call it, like a Murphy bed or something like that, the bed that folds yeah, out with the yeah. wall. Yeah. Uh, so we lived in a little studio apartment that had that, and you know we had the uh, the NES that was infested with cockroaches and stuff. But anyways, there used to be a quilt that we had that uh, it was a patchwork quilt on one side, but on the back side it was just like a like a pink red, you know, just solid pink red. And so she would tie that around my neck like a cape, right, so that the red part was on the back, you know. And then she would give me a fly swatter, and I would go around killing the cockroaches, and I was the cockroach commando. And so I was like a superhero going around. And, you know, obviously as an adult, the idea of like a little kid going around and like having to kill and clean up the cockroaches sounds pretty horrific. But as a kid, when you're living in the moment, you know, you've got your little cape on and you're the cockroach commando and you have your little, you know, fly swatter like superhero tool and you're going around and killing them. And like, you know, you make up little games for points and stuff, depending on how many you can get. (laughs) 
You adopt an Arnold Schwarzenegger accent. It's like, I'm, I'm the cockroach commando. Yeah, kill it's, you. It's fun. So it's like I, I have fond memories of like playing Gauntlet, which then reminds me of when you know Diablo came on the PlayStation. When cockroaches stuff. ruled the earth. <laughs> if not for the valiant efforts of the cockroach commando. That's right. Well, I mean, Jerry sounds like a cockroach, so I wish we had a commando to take him out. Indeed. It just makes me think of like the Jurassic Park theme song playing as you're descending with the fly swatter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we make the best of what we can, right? I, I have fond memories of that. Of course, it's a fond memory. I don't want my own uh, offspring yes. to have to go through. Spared no expense. Uh, you know, in superhero <laughs> comics, they always have the, the child take over, take over the mantle, take the mantle. That's right. So... I- you know, and I might have that quilt somewhere. I have to like pull it out of a dusty old box from the attic and when she's a little older, blow off the dust and you are Plot now twist, it the is made commando. of cockroaches. <laughs> See, I it was is- going to say, when you were talking about the fact that it's patterned on the top and then just sort of plain on the bottom, I was waiting for you to say that like when one day you picked it up and cockroaches were just teeming <laughs> under the fabric, <laughs> and that's how bad the infestation got, and I was about to cry for how tragic your no, sir, youth was. But- I was I was a very talented cockroach commando during my okay. tenure. When I wore that cape... There weren't enough cockroaches to infest anything in that area. Except for the Nintendo. (laughs) Well. That was their home base. That's because they caught me on my off days as I'm trying to play Gauntlet. I see. You're like, I'm not clocked in. I'm not doing this today. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. You should have just taken off and nuked the thing from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Yeah. Uh. All right, I've got my Aliens reference in for the evening. I feel good. Uh, I've only had seven dropped uh, Zoom sessions today, so I think I'm fine to run this thing to a close so i think that is gonna finally wrap this thing up like a cockroach carapace for this evening's exploits so thank you all for being here with us on another stirring installment of this the disinformed podcast if you enjoyed the show please like subscribe rate and review we would love to hear from you and if you want to check us out a little further there's going to be a link in the show notes that'll take you to all of our irrelevant socials got new episodes of the podcast dropping every lovely monday morning and of course crazy nonsense on the tubes of you flying your way each fantastic friday so you can check us out both places and uh you know it, further exploits to come as we near episode 200 canonically uh Oof. now granted there are no numbers on the shows anymore for you all to see but i know it's happening and that is sufficient so we're gonna celebrate in some way shape or form we'll find a way maybe we'll call up another random person and listen to some dishes being cleaned in the background we can do that. Get we some can dishes, pots and pans. Life yeah. will find a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josie and the Pussycats can play a set in the background there. It'll be a good old time. But uh, I don't uh, know. <laughs> I'm scared. I think, I think that's going to finally uh, put a nail in the coffin, at least for the satanic panic in this particular installment. So thank you all for uh, going on a journey with us. And, uh, you know, once more again, Doc, can we get a Hail Satan? Hail Satan! Thank you. <laughs> and magustulations to all of you who appreciate the volume of time I've spent discussing last pod episodes on the course of this podcast. But uh, hopefully we kept it interesting. And at the very least, uh, we'll keep coming back for more. Hey but that's going to be the end of this show. So for the Disinformed Podcast this week, as Michael runs along, I'm Shane. I am the Cockroach Commando. And I'm Michael. <laughs> and- Fantastic. Zippity zoop, we're out of here. Not the cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs>